Awesome. Well, happy Father's Day again. Got a message this morning God's laid on my heart to share with you about fathers. We'll be in the Gospel of Luke this morning, chapter 15. I sent you that email a little bit late, but I did get it out yesterday morning. Luke 15, we'll look at the first or the, the last four verses of that passage, verses 20 through 24. This passage of Scripture, uh, a lot of times people focus on it being the prodigal son, what happened to the prodigal son, what he did, what he didn't do, how he responded. And it's kind of, a lot of times it's overlooked about how the father responds. I want to focus that this, this morning because it's Father's Day. So I want to share with you a couple things that I've been thinking about this week, and, and you can kind of point me along, but I want to just... Uh, to share with you some things that's been on my heart. Today's Father's Day. Uh, it's an awesome day. A lot of people traveling. But it's a special day where we recognize the lives of men who have made an impact in our lives on each of us. When I was uh, young, man, I wanted to be just like my dad. And I want to be just like him. And as my dad did teach me a lot about being a father, but there was many things that I had to learn on my own about being a father. The role of the father is a calling to serve the family. It is an important call, but it's a calling to serve. It's a calling to protect. It's a calling to lead. We know that based on what Scripture tells about it. It is a challenging role. It has challenges, and it has difficulties, but it's hands down most of the the most rewarding roles that a man can have. Amen? It's a very important role. There's some many different types of fathers, and I uh, don't want to overlook any of them, but there's some that are biological fathers. There's some that are stand-in fathers. Some are considered bonus fathers. Some are miniaturing fathers, and many, many other types of men who stood in the gap to take on the role of being a father. And so I was just thinking about this, a couple of things. If you were to make a list of the characteristics of a father, I wonder what that list might look like. I suspect, and I just wrote a few things down, and see if you uh, agree with some of these, or if not all of them. The first one of the characteristics of a father is unlimited knowledge. Amen? Know it all, right? Unlimited knowledge, a vast amount of wisdom. Here's one, grill master. For This is for the men, outdoor cooking professional. Is that right? Brother Wesley, man, know how to, huh? Griffin. Here's, here's one that some people, who needs a map? I've got this, right? No maps needed. I got this. I've been here before. Lack of ability to match clothing. All right? Just give me a pair of jeans. Greg, help me. Okay. Dry humor or corny jokes. You ever have to work through that? Dry humor, corny. There's a wrong way and there's the father's way. There was even this TV show when I was young, and, and obviously if you're as old as I am, you can remember it. The show was called Father Knows Best. Anybody remember that? Because the father knew best, right? Fathers knows best. But there's two most prominent characteristics of any father. And this is what we're going to talk about this morning. Two of the most prominent characteristics of any father, and that is protection and love. This morning, we're going to open up God's Word and look at a passage of Scripture that gives us a clear description of the type of love that God the Father, our Heavenly Father, has for His children. If you're able, would you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word this morning? Luke 15, starting in verse 20. And the passage goes on and says this. So he got up and went to his father. But when the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. 
he ran threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put, put on him. Put a ring on his fingers and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fatted calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with a feast because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they begin to celebrate. Pray with me, please. Father God, I come before you humbly this morning. God, and I just ask that you bless the reading of your word. God, I ask that you cleanse me of every sin, cleanse me of every impurity. Father, I ask that you hide your servant behind the cross and allow me to deliver your message to your people. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen. You may be seated. Each of those verses stand out to me, and there's some different things that I, I want you to, to look at in the different types of verses when we look at it. And you want you to, to focus on how the father responded to the son when he saw the son. I want you to re- think about the things that he said about it. And then for, for the last verse of Scripture is so important as far as the way he referenced the, the son and what had been taking place, how he was dead and now alive. These are all things that are insignificant. In our passive scripture this morning, Jesus is addressing the, the complaints that the scribes and the Pharisees had said against him. Look at this. If you went back to Luke 15 too, it says this, And the Pharisees and the scribes were complaining They were complaining that this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them, complaining about what Jesus was doing, complaining about the compassion that Jesus had for lost people. You ever heard anybody complain? I mean, compassion about what Jesus had. They were complaining. So that's what gets us into this statement. Jesus talks about these parables. There's three different parables that he's going to talk about in here. But when we look at Luke, we see in chapter 15 where Jesus used three separate parables to talk about things that were lost. He talked about the lost sheep. He talked about a lost coin. And in the third parable, he talks about the lost prodigal son. You've heard that phrase before, but these are the three things he talked about that were lost. And in this third parable, Jesus describes a young man. He describes him, and the young man asked his father. He said, Father, give me my share of our inheritance. Give me my share of the inheritance so I can go off and live the easy life. He wanted his part of the inheritance. He was tired of working in the family business. He wanted to see what it was like to, to live on to the world. He wanted to see what it was like to live it, live it up a little bit. He had a different mindset of what should take place, how he wanted to be comfortable, how, what he was seeking outside of this laboring farm job that he had, but, but yet he had everything there. But he wanted to see what it was like to live outside of his father's boundaries, to experience the things of the world and what the world has to offer. And we see that a lot of times. We see that a lot of times when people want to go through the pleasures of the world. We talk about things where people now want to change the wording in the Bible to make it adjust to what, what the world's living like. Man, this, this, this is the same thing he's talking about. He was tired of working. He wanted to see what the world had to offer. The story is told that the young man's father gave him the possessions. He gave him his portion of the inheritance. He gave it to him, and he says that in the Bible that this young man went off and he squandered 100% of the inheritance that he had been given. Every single thing that he had been given, he squandered it. He wasted it. And he says in the Bible that, that he basically found himself face down in the gutter. 
face down in the slime where the pigs were, feeding the pigs and, and hungering to eat the pods that the pigs were eating. He found himself in trouble. He was desperate to survive. The story further tells that it was a change in his attitude, a change in his life that led him back to the Father. Man, I'll tell you what, change has to take place. It's called repentance for the, for the, for the sinner. Change has to take place. Sometimes we have to fall flat on our face before we realize we need to change. Amen? Sometimes we're at the bottom. Sometimes we're, we're taking control. Sometimes we're leading because things are good and, and things are just the way I want them and I'm in control. And then all of a sudden the bottom falls out and you're face down in the gutter. You're face down and things are, have left you. That's when we turn the lead over to God. We've got to give him the reins. In this parable recorded in Luke 15, we see that this is genuine love. When we talk about love, we talk about God's unconditional love. We see this passage is going to show us this father has genuine love. It's, it's, it's what we see. It's the kind of love that God has for his children that return to him. I mean, God loves us unconditionally. But when we return to him, he's ex- excited about our return. This is the way the son acted. When you think about it, we look at it all together. The way the son had acted would have disgraced the family name. What he had asked for, what he did, how he lived his life. When he went off, it would have disgraced the family name. It would have been very significant in this time in history. But we look at the father and how the father acted. He never quit looking over the horizon for his son to return. Every single day he was looking for the return. He wanted his son to return. He gave him the freedom to leave. He gave him his part of the inheritance. He sent him on his way. He allowed him to do what he wanted to do, but he never stopped looking for him to return. The Bible says, if you go on and look at it, the Bible says he, he saw his son approaching at the horizon. He saw him coming over the, the hill, and it says that he ran to him. And that's significant because you've got to think about this. It says that he, he dropped down everything he was doing, and he ran to the son. Not only did he run, but he welcomed his son back, and he honored this boy with a homecoming. He said, we're going to have a, a feast because he was dead, and now he's alive, and he's come back. He invited the whole village to attend. You've got to understand how significant this is. The disgracing of the family name, the disgracing of the family was very significant during this time in history. The father never did permit the youngest son to finish his confession. When he says, Father, I've sinned against, uh, sinned against you in your sight. I've sinned against this whole family. You look at what the father did. Look at how quick he answered this young man. He interrupted him. He forgave him, and he ordered the celebration for two for, to begin, amen? Man, let's celebrate. He's come home. We know this father's response for the son shows us exactly how God the father responds to sinners who repent and come back to him. Man, it's exactly how he responds. The Bible says that God is rich in his mercy and grace and that he's great in his love toward them. And all this is possible because of Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made on the cross for each of us. He's rich in his mercy. He's rich in his grace and he loves us no matter what some people might claim. Let me tell you something. God loves us. But no matter what some people might tell you, we're not saved by God's love. Ooh, we're getting a little confusing. Well, think here, you talk about God's love. God loves us. No matter what they claim, we're not saved by God's love. God loves the whole world, but the whole world is not saved. Amen? John three sixteen. God loved the whole world so much that he wants the whole world to be saved, but the whole world is not saved. You know, you see, look outside the walls of the church. Look outside the walls in this worldly issues. You see the whole world is not saved. 
We're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus Christ. When we place our trust and faith in Jesus Christ, that's what saves us. Amen? Jesus Christ, he paid the price for us. He gave us the love, and that love pays the price. Let's look at some history. During this time in history, older men did not run. I told you that was significant. They did not run because it was undignified for them to run. Their dignity wouldn't allow them to run. They were, they were at a different level. Older men did not run. Yet this father set aside his own dignity. He ran to his son. At this point in his life, nothing else mattered but this fact that his son had come home. That's what was important to him. So, so why did the father act in such a way? What was the issue? There's two things I want you to take home this, this morning. One is the obvious reason for the amount of love that he had for his son. He wanted to display it to the son and to everybody that was watching. Every person in the village needed to know how much this man loved the son. No matter what he had done, it did not matter what he had done. He loved his son in a way beyond anything else. But there's something else to think about. There's one more thing to think about, and this is where we get deep into the Old Testament. This wayward son had brought disgrace on the family and the village. Not just his family, but the whole village had been disgraced. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 18 to 21, it says in there that he should have been, what, stoned to death. This son, the prodigal son, according to the Old Testament scripture, because he disgraced the family, should have been stoned to death. Because of the love that the father has for his children, a father will step in between danger and his child. Amen? No matter what it is, the father will step in between danger and the father ran to the son. He was the first one to see him. He ran to the son to step in between danger and the son. If the men of the village had started to stone the stone son... Not one stone would have hit the son. It would have hit the father because the father would have stepped between it, the danger and the son. That's what I'm talking about. That's love and that's protection. Amen. Father's going to protect his children. Father will protect his children. That's the same picture that Jesus Christ did for us on the cross. You think about it. While his arms were stretched out and nailed to the cross, he had them wrapped around each of us tightly. They were stretched out and nailed, but his arms were wrapped around each one of us because of the love that he had for us. He was holding us tight. Everything that the son had hoped for, everything that this this young man had hoped for to get into the easy life, everything that he'd hoped for from a worldly standpoint, he found right back at home, right back where he's at. The, The Bible goes on and talks about clothes, jewelry, friends, joy, celebration, love, and assurance of the future. Every single thing that he was thinking he was going to get in the world, he got right there at the house. It's amazing, isn't it? But what made the difference? Instead of saying, Father, give me, which is what he said in the beginning, Father, give me, he changed his whole attitude and said, Father, make me. Make me like one of your servants. I don't deserve to be your son anymore, but make me like one of your servants. He was willing to be a servant. We know what the father says. Now, here's some things to think about. We know the father's reply was not, okay, son, because of what you've done, because of the actions you've done, because of the way you've disgraced the family, because of the carelessness and your lack of responsibility, you're going to have to work your way back into the good graces of this family. That's not what he said, is it? It seems like that would have been a worldly thing to say. Because of what you've done, you've got to make restitution for it. You've got to work your way back into the good graces of the family. But that's not at all what he said. The father did not ask him to earn his forgiveness. We can't earn forgiveness. Amen? We can't earn forgiveness because no amount of good works can save us from our sins. In a faraway country, 
we think about this, where he went, the prodigal son learned the meaning of misery. He learned the meaning of struggle. He learned the meaning of, 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 of hardship. But back home, he learned the meaning of the love of his father. He discovered the meaning of mercy and the true meaning of a father's love. Let me, let me break this scripture down for you. The ring as a sign of sonship. That was authority for the family. That was a different, he put a ring on his finger because that meant he was a member of the family. That meant he was authority of the family. That meant he could sign anything, any document, legal document or anything. He was part of this family. Put a ring on his finger. He carried authority as a member of the family. The best robe, the best robe belonged to the father, not to anybody else. He put his own robe on the son. He brought, bring the best robe. It's typically associated with wealth, and it's proof that he had been accepted back into the family. Servants did not wear rings. They did not wear shoes. They did not wear sandals. They did not wear expensive garments. These were things that were associated with members of the family because it identified their status in the society. Only members of the family could wear that. The feast was the father's way of showing his joy that his son had returned home. And it was also his way of sharing the joy with the family and the people of the village because he was the one making all the shots. He was calling all the things. Had the son been dealt with according to the law, there would have been a funeral, not a feast. We look in Psalms 103, 10 and 14 says this. Listen up. This is what it says in Psalm 103. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he's removed our transgressions from us. As far as the Father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we are made of. Amen. He cast them as far as the east is from the west. You lay it at the feet of the cross and Jesus knows it no more. He doesn't keep bringing it back up. He knows it no more. It's interesting to consider what the father's description of his son's experience was. And we think about it in verse 24. He says he was dead and he's now alive. He was lost and he's now found. Let the celebration begin. This is a spiritual experience that every sinner who comes back to Jesus Christ, comes back to God, will experience through faith in Jesus Christ. I want you to take a look at a couple comparisons, some similarities. When I'm studying this, you're looking at the prodigal son, and you look at Jesus Christ and the way he compares things to it. Let's look at this. And our father, uh, the things about the son coming to the earthly father and us coming to the heavenly father, he said the son was lost. Jesus Christ said what? I am what? The way. The son was lost. Christ said, I'm the way. The son was ignorant, which means he had no knowledge. Jesus said, I am the truth. The son was dead. Jesus said, I am life. These are so important. There's only one way to come to the Father, and that's through faith in Jesus Christ. When I began this message this morning, I shared with you some characteristics of earthly fathers, some things that we talk about from our earthly fathers. I want to share with you nine things for you to remember that describe our Heavenly Father, who is the gold standard of fatherhood. You want to write these down, that's fine. If you want catch me later, that's fine. But, but when I'm looking at these things, I want to share with you nine important facts about God the Father. Number one, he's a perfect father. He's the perfect father. None of us grew up with a perfect father. Man, none of us had a perfect father, and none of us are perfect as being a father. But Jesus Christ is the perfect father. God the Father never gets anything wrong. He's flawless, and he's faultless. He's the perfect father. He's what we should be comparing fathers to. Number two, he never leaves us. 
He never leaves us. God will never walk out on us, even when we tend to walk out on him. He holds our hand tighter than we hold his. Number three, he forgives us when we let him down. Let me tell you something. That is one of the hardest things that you'd ever want to do is to let your father down or your father feel like he's been let down. But God the Father forgives us when we let him down. We don't always please him, but when we make mistakes, we take them to him. He forgives us. And he remembers them no more. The Bible says he casts them as far as the east is from the west. Number four, he disciplines us because he loves us. That's one of the harder things to be disciplined by anybody. He disciplines us out of love rather than anger, redemption rather than punishment, reconciliation rather than division. He has to discipline us. Number five, he speaks to us every day. If you were listening, he speaks to us every day through the word of God. He speaks to us and communicates us through his inspired word. Let me tell you something. He wrote a love letter called the Bible that crosses all cultures. It crosses all boundaries. It crosses all uh, issues that we need to deal with. It transcends through the years, all the years, and it's exactly what we need to govern our life. It's exactly what we need to manage our life. Number six. He's always available. He never, uh, you never have to wonder where this father's at. There's a lot of times when people do have to wonder where their father's at. Jesus Christ and God the Father is always available. We never have to wonder where he's at. We can call on him anytime, 24-7, and he'll answer. He even comes seeking us when we're not looking for him. A lot of times he comes looking for us. Number seven, he is pleased to be our father. He loves us more than you can imagine. And he's pleased to be our father. Number eight, he gives us earthly fathers. This is where I want to be specific. For some, the father's a godly man who's biological in our family. He's the biological father of our family. For others, this father's a godly man who has chosen to walk beside us and welcome us as one of his own. He may or may not have children, but he's chosen to, to help father someone that's in need. Number nine, lastly, he allows us to be somebody's father. Even for those men who do not have children, God grants the blessing of being a father to other people's lives. He gives us spiritual children to help raise. That's part of the church. We come together for spiritual children. That's truly a gift. There's a contemporary Christian song that I've listened to occasionally. It has a chorus that says, He is a good, good father. It's who he is, and we're loved by him. My question to you this morning is, how long will you keep wondering, not wondering, wandering, before you come back to the Father? How long will you keep wandering away from Him? Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, then you're wandering without hope. He's watching for your return, and He'll run to meet you. All you have to do is take one step for Him, toward Him, and He'll meet you right where He's at. Man, God loves us so much. And we talk about fathers, but we're talking about the Heavenly Father, and He loves us so much that He gave His Son as a sacrifice for us. John three sixteen says, For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Ephesians 2.8 says this. By grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself. It's a gift of God. It's because of the love that he has for us. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Sin separates us from God. It's a barrier. He can't get to us. We can't get to him without some type of sacrifice. So he gave us Jesus Christ so that we could have eternal life with him in heaven. 
Romans 10, 13 says, Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It doesn't leave anybody out. And it doesn't matter what you've done or what you haven't done or what you thought about doing. It says in the Bible that whoever calls on Jesus Christ, he'll write your name in the Lamb's book of life. Friends, when our time is over with, we're going to spend eternity in one of two places. And eternity is too long to be wrong. Maybe this morning you'd like to make sure and know without a shadow of a doubt that you're going to spend eternity with Christ in heaven. And that is the most important decision you'll ever make. Romans 10.9 says this. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. God made it very simple. All you've got to do is turn it over to him and you will be saved. In a moment, we're going to have a hymn of invitation. Maybe you don't know this Jesus I've been talking about. Maybe you need to know him. Maybe this father figure that you haven't had the relationship with him that you, you need to get closer to him. Whatever the issue, this is a time set aside for you. The invitation is not just a, the end of the service. It's a special time when you get to communicate with God the Father through a, a vertical relationship. And you get to set that time aside and talk with him. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what time the timing is. If you need to lay it out at the feet of Jesus and say, this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I want to do. This is what I need you to help me do. Whatever your decision is what you need to do at this time together. Maybe there's others. Maybe you're looking for a church home. I mean, this is a great place to call home. Love to have you part of this fellowship of this church and whatever decisions you need. If you need to come to the altar, you lay it at the feet of Jesus, bring it to the altar. Our deacons are available to pray with you. I'll be glad to pray with you. Whatever decision is, you take that time because this is your time. Father God, I come before you this morning. God, just thanking you for your word. Thanking you for the fact that you're our Heavenly Father and how much you love each of us. Father, just how you show your love for us each and every day. And God, I just thank you for Jesus Christ. God, I just pray if there's one person in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior, God, I pray that this day would be the day they turn it over to you. Father, for others in their congregation, God, I just ask that you touch lives. God, I ask that you intercede where they need uh, compassion, where they need fellowship, and where they need leadership. God, I just ask that you touch lives as lives need to be changed. These things I ask in your son's precious and holy name. Amen.